You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. My name is Natalie, and I'm your host today. We are so excited to welcome Eloise Moran to talk about her new book, The Lady Die Lookbook, and she will be in conversation with Catherine Collier. Eloise Moran is a London-born, Los Angeles-based fashion writer and creator of the Instagram account Lady Die Revenge Looks, which has been featured in The New Yorker, Elle, The LA Times, and The Telegraph. She currently lives on the east side of LA with an impressive collection of 90s clothing, including her most prized possession, an original Virgin Atlantic sweatshirt which was seen on Lady Diana herself. The Lady Die Lookbook is Eloise's first book. Catherine Collier is a Cleveland-based actor, comedian, and devout follower of Lady Die Revenge Looks. She currently co-hosts the podcast Love Island UK, Our Type on Paper, with her friend and confidant Sarah Brockian. She was raised on Princess Die fandom and is so excited to talk about her most famous looks. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Matt. And <laughs> Eloise, you wanted to uh, read a little something for us. We've got a sort of timely uh, part of the book that you're going to share with us. Yeah, so it's actually one of the last chapters, but I figured since the anniversary of Diana's death is coming up and this chapter is kind of based around the last few weeks of her life, um, I feel like this is a good one to share. It's called, um, the name of the chapter is The Vacation Revenge Look. And for anyone who follows my Instagram account, the lady, sorry, Lady Die Revenge Looks, um, I usually kind of caption every every outfit a different revenge look. So these are um, some of the ones that she wore when she was um, cruising around the Mediterranean with Dodi al So yeah, I'll start. So, um, <clears throat> in July 1997, with word that her ex-husband was to host Camilla's 50th birthday party at Highgrove, Diana accepted a conveniently timed request from Harrod's owner, Mohammed Al-Fayed, to join him and his family at their Saint-Tropez villa. Wouldn't it be funny if I suddenly came out of the birthday cake, she teased. Instead, Diana decided to take the high road and a summer holiday. She hopped aboard Alfayed's private jet with Princes William and Harry and joined the billionaire and his family at their sprawling beachside mansion on the Côte d'Azur. It was there she was reacquainted with Dodi, Alfayed's son, whom she first met in 1986 at a polo match where he played on the opposite team to Diana's ex-husband. Like Diana, Dodi was a fellow divorcee, and he was dating the American model Kelly Fisher at the time, whom he unceremoniously dumped just days after he was reunited with the princess at his father's house. Lucia Fletcher de Lima, a friend of Diana's, explained Dodi's appeal. He was a man who had no full-time occupation and could dedicate all of his time to her. To some, that might sound like the stuff of claustrophobic nightmares. I mean, who wants an unemployed man constantly doting on you? Good Lord, get a job or a hobby. But Diana had never had this kind of devoted attention before, and she was charmed by it. On second thought, perhaps I could, could be convinced if this hypothetical unemployed man owned a house in the French Riviera, a 200-foot yacht, and had an unlimited charge account to Harrods. Definitely pros and cons to both. 
Some of my favorite off-duty photos of Diana are from her vacations in the 90s, from the leopard print one piece by Oregonian label Janssen that she wore on Richard Branson's Necker Island, to the Gotex neon ombre bathing suit that lit up the Mediterranean seascape. Some of the happiest photos that exist publicly of Diana are those that show her lounging on a beach with her sons, frolicking around on yachts with tanned foreign playboys and sporting a wardrobe of bikinis, oversized t-shirts, Versace shades and baseball hats. She started the decade on a trip to Mallorca with her estranged husband and their boys looking utterly subdued. But by the summer of 1997, Diana appeared to be wholeheartedly herself. Her eyes sparkled with uncontainable joy. Still getting over her breakup with Hazmat Khan, I really was rooting for him, and disappointed that their two-year romance failed to convince him to propose, the Queen of Revenge was on a whole new mission to show her new ex what he was missing. Khan was as understated as Dodie was flashy, as remote as Dodie was public, as somber as Dodie was carefree, wrote Sarah Ellison for Vanity Fair. In other words, for better or worse, Dodie was everything that Khan wasn't. It's very much disputed whether Diana was actually in love with Dodie. He gifted her a ring from Raposi the day before their untimely deaths after the accident in Paris's Pont de l'Alma tunnel. And many speculated that it was the engagement kind. Of course, after the tragedy, the press decided to create their own fairy tale ending, perhaps to soothe the grief-stricken public or to continue telling the sensational story that they had always wrestled to dictate. For Diana, giving gifts was her love language. Diana's bodyguard, Ken Wharf, said she loved to shower her men friends with gifts, and it all went on the Prince of, Prince of Wales account. Rosa Moncton, a close friend of Diana's, believed that her summer dalliances with Dodie were to make Hasnat jealous enough that it would force his hand, as she still loved him. On her final cruise around the Mediterranean, there were multiple reports of Diana colluding with the paparazzi by telling them where she'd be. A famous mirror front page bearing the headline, The Kiss, showed Diana in a fluorescent pink floral bathing suit, locked in a passionate embrace with her Egyptian boyfriend. The whole world went wild, and poor Hasnat tried to call Diana on her cell phone, but she had, rather brutally, already changed her number. Now, although mo most of us can't really relate to conspiring with the paparazzi to get the perfect post-breakup revenge shots, although this would be such an iconic way to inflict revenge, I wish I had this capability in my back pocket. It isn't too dissimilar from the Instagram breakup revenge mentality of today. Raise your hand if after a breakup, you've curated your own reality via a series of painstakingly strategized candidates on social media. Of course you have. Diana went through the exact same motions as the Instagram generation of today, except she was able to enlist the slightly elaborate help of the international media. Whether she was simply on the rebound with Dodie, seeing him with the intention of manipulating Hasnat, or truly in love, we'll never know. Diana had a whirlwind summer fling, and in her final weeks of life, she looked genuinely happy and free. The media responded to her freedom with pushy suggestions that Diana was about to get another ring on her finger. Perhaps she was just happy to be single, normal, and receiving attention from a man that desired her. Can we have allowed Diana a no-string summer of sun, sea, and sex without putting her into another box? What we do know is that Diana wrote the book on manipulating the men in her life, whether it was for her own amusement, power, control, or even for an inner sense of security. 
She'd reclaimed her power, and for all that she'd been through, I'm sure she secretly delighted in keeping those men on their toes. Diana did have love in her life that summer, the love of her boys and a palpable love of life and self. She was in her element during her final weeks on earth, something her brother Earl Spencer found solace in, saying in his eulogy that before she passed away, she was at her most beautiful and radiant and when she had joy in her private life. Instead of wanting the alternate fairy tale ending of a could have been engagement for the princess, perhaps we can take comfort in what we do know to be true. The princess had found peace and happiness on her own terms. And then I just want to finish the reading with um, quite a tragic but really beautiful quote that Diana had said in her secret tapes, um, which was, she said, I know one day if I play the rules of life, the game of life, I will be able to have those things that I've always pined for, and they will be that much more special because I will be that much older and I'll be able to appreciate them more. And I think you know, it just shows she had so much hope for where her, her life would all eventually go. And she said this in kind of the early 90s. And I think she really did believe that, you know, hope was on the horizon for her. So, you know, it's just so, it we it's kind of bittersweet. She had the last few weeks of her life. We see her, you know, living her life, being a 30 something year old, dating, like frolicking around the French Riviera and then, um, so we can take comfort in that knowing she was happy, but it is very tragic to think that it was taken away from her so soon. Absolutely. And thank you so much for putting that. I, I love that chapter and I'm so glad you chose that one um, to read today. Uh, Eloise, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's nice to meet you officially. Uh, and I just wanted to say, I think you really nailed it throughout your whole book but in that last chapter with with hopefulness and I think that's a reoccurring theme throughout every era of Diana's life uh just that longing that searching and finding it within herself as well uh and I think your book does a really terrific job of 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 showing that uh I was really surprised incredibly surprised actually that you only started your Diana research in 2018 yeah, so actually before that, obviously I'm British, if you hadn't already <laughs> figured that out. <laughs> but um, I obviously grew up with Diana to an extent, but really didn't know kind of too much about her. I didn't know the ins and outs of the, the relationship, the kind of attitude towards her. I think when you grow up with her in the UK, um, I mean, and for context, I was born in 92. So she died in 1995, uh, 1997. So I was only five when she died. I think mine and my generation's understanding of her for the most part was she was this princess, people really loved her. But I don't think we really were so acquainted with the story of why that was. And um, I happen to be going through a marriage breakup, as you do when you're 25 years old. And um, kind of one of those poor decisions I made in my early 20s. And um, I just one night I was at home and I watched this documentary on her called Diana in her own words. And um, it was the Netflix documentary, which is narrated kind of posthumously in her um from her secret tapes that she recorded to kind of inform the writings for Andrew Morton and his biography and I felt so connected to her and I felt 
that in itself was a strange thing because she's someone who should be the least relatable person in the world because she's a princess but there was something very human about her very real and um, I even noted like a bit of a sense of humor that I kind of related to and um, I think at the time I was kind of feeling so kind of intent on I want to I want to make my ex you know regret this and blah 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 and all the things you do when you're going through a breakup and I started calling my outfits my revenge looks and it was like purely a joke and then I <laughs> after this Diana thing I started doing a bit of research and I was like oh my god princess Diana has a revenge wardrobe and I I searched the accounts I was like this has to already exist like I there's no way no one's not done it and no one had and at the time no one was posting anything Diana on social media so it really was kind of uncovering this treasure trove of outfits and really that's where it began I never had any intention to turn it into a book or and obviously I mean if you've read the book or if you plan reading the book it's actually it's obviously comes from the spirit of the social media account which is where I caption every different look a different revenge look um but this is really an in-depth psychobiography of the princess but from a very strong uplifting feminist angle because I really felt that that story the one that this whole new generation is so um, connected to and inspired by I felt like that hadn't been told um in I feel like a lot of the um renderings of Diana have been quite negative or maybe overly focused on her mental health struggles or her eating disorder and I think you know there was so much more to her and just because I think a lot of modern women or people everywhere can relate to the fact that you might have mental health issues or you might have be struggling with an eating disorder but does that make you any less strong and I think the thing what you said about hope is that you really see Diana was a fighter and you really sort of see that in every single chapter of her life and obviously reflected in her clothing. Absolutely and going through what you said you can just tell throughout the book like your words are just so filled with love for this woman and you get appreciation not only appreciation for Diana and for her outfits but also just an immense amount of gratitude as a woman in 2018 through 2022, uh, and you feel that through the words on the pages. Uh, with Diana in her own words, was there a particular moment in that documentary where you thought, where it just clicked at the time and you thought, wow, this woman is an inspiration? Or was it just all throughout uh, watching that? Um, I think I was quite sort of enchanted by her from the beginning because it is funny to sort of hear such a personal narration from someone whose image is so famous like it's almost like if Marilyn Monroe if these secret tapes from Marilyn Monroe telling kind of all the ins and outs of maybe her relationship with the Kennedys or whatever it's there's something really that really grabs you about that and you're in just hearing someone's voice and connecting to them on that level it almost makes it them feel like they're still there and um I I felt it from quite early on. I felt that she had a very rebellious streak in her when she stepped out wearing this um, dress by David and Elizabeth Emmanuel to one of her first royal engagements. And it kind of had a deep 
plunging neckline and it was black and both of those things you weren't meant to wear inside the royal family because I mean plunging neckline speaks for itself but you weren't meant to wear black because it was color of mourning mm -hmm. and she kind of defied Charles's wishes by stepping out in that so I, at that point I was like okay she's cool she's a bit <laughs> just at my attention <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> And then she's she's not doing what her man wants her to do. And I liked that from the start. And um, but then I think when you really get to know the story and you hear kind of what was going on with Charles and Camilla and how, you know, it happened from the start. And it was like this. I think so many of us have been in relationships at some point in our lives where there's been this kind of jealousy surrounding another woman or or, you know, something that holds your partner's attention and it fills you with insecurity and you think that really didn't let up for her. And I think you just see her experience of it and it was just like endless. And you, I really felt for her. I was like, I, and there was parts of it I really related to. And um, I, that's obviously, so if anyone follows the Instagram account, my um, hashtag is F-U-C-C, which means fuck you, Charles and Camilla. And I kind of, I honestly wrote it in my first post, didn't really think about it. And mm -hmm. I just kind of like latched on and that's kind of, I really keep that up in the book with the F-U-C-C spirit is that Chicken Kiev, F-U-C-C. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> new details in there about Camilla but um I you know she's kind of had a rebranding recently Camilla mm -hmm. and she was on the cover of British Vogue actually the month my book came out so that was a little awkward <laughs> um and you know I think they're really trying the royal family press team are really trying to kind of rebrand her and kind of get mm -hmm. people on her side and to be honest like I really I, I, I almost feel like they're the pantomime villains in a way. And at one point in time, they really were the real villains. Like they really mm -hmm. did harm this person. And I think people say, you know, are you worried about kind of like what that's doing by, you know, still like nodding, not letting it go, not letting kind of the Camilla and Charles go. They've obviously been together so long. And of course mm. I get that, but I do think it's more kind of, you know, what they represent to lots of women in terms mm. of their own stories. And I also feel that she, the book is about Diana. It's kind of a sympathetic rendering towards Diana. I'm team Diana and it's the book tells them so I don't really care I don't really care about them they're also very privileged people and I'm not so worried about what my little hashtag is going to do to them <laughs> absolutely uh when you were doing your research I know you were initially inspired by the revenge looks uh but was there a particular Diana era like you you split up your book so well in uh, different eras of her style and what was going on in her personal life was there a particular era either style-wise or personally that you did resonate with at the time you started your Diana journey and how has that evolved over the years? Um, when I started it I really was only interested in the 90s looks. I guess I didn't really have an appreciation or even thorough understanding of the 80s outfits and mm -hmm. um, I think when like this Diana fever just in fashion and kind of you know, popular culture came to light in the last few years. It really did start with this focus on the 90s outfits. Mm -hmm. And um, they also felt kind of, 
you know, there were all these social media accounts like 90s Anxiety, um, Velvet Coke, like all of these very, these nostalgia accounts. And it was very all out 90s. But I think in the way just fashion is cyclical, I think the Diana effect has extended beyond that. And now we've seen lots of designers take references from the 80s. And, and it honestly wasn't until I started um, writing my book and doing all of the image research and mm -hmm. um, really like digging through the 80s looks, I realized there are some incredible looks in there too. Some of them were maybe a little more recognizable and then others of them, I was really lucky because I there was one photographer who was a paparazzo in the 80s and he was kind enough to send me his entire archive of just film of Diana. So I got to look through so many incredible photos. And this was in kind of, it was, this was last year. So still kind of pandemic vibes. I mean, it's still a pandemic, obviously. Um, but last year was still pretty, you know, not fun. And um, I was just going through this incredible archive of some photos I'm sure have never been seen before. And I selected a few of those for my book. Um, and I, so I really did kind of grow my appreciation for her style all round. And I also was able to connect the dots that she probably went through eight or nine style shifts within the years of 1980 to 1997 of course when she died and like it was like this metamorphosis metamorphoses and she um but each of them each of these outfits you know the way when you're in your 20s and you're kind of experimenting with your style and it's a bit it can be a bit messy and you can look back and you can kind of cringe at a lot of it I'm sure she had that too I'm sure she she if she were alive today she would look back well even in the 90s I'm sure she'd look back at some of the 80s looks and be like oh god um but I think every single era of her feels inherently her and mm -hmm. I just think that shows so many sides of her personality and so many kind of messages she wanted to send so many I and I just think there's something really beautiful about it it's almost like a coming of age for women in their 20s going into their 30s too because I know we get lots of coming of age stories of teens going into like being young adults but for me I'm like I'm so fascinated by the era of kind of who you are in your 20s versus who you are in your 30s and I think she's the ultimate representation of that I think there's something really uplifting and inspiring about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely grew more of an appreciation through your book of her bachelorette style. Uh, beforehand, I kind of thought like, oh, she's, you know, she the 90s was the quintessential Diana for me. And then looking back, I was like, oh, there was a lot of personality within those, those early looks there. And for the creation of the book, uh, I know you said you referenced your friend uh, Hannah Tyndall. Uh, when creating the book itself were was that ever in your mind or did she just say hey this account can go further like it can go into something you can publish so no Hannah was Hannah's been a friend of mine for years and mm -hmm. um she she now is fashion director at Evening Standard magazine ES magazine in London but at the time she was working for another and she was one of kind of my early friends who followed the account when it had maybe like 30 followers or something mm -hmm. and it was never intended I'm not if you know me that I'm not the kind of person 
to create something be like I want this to be this I want this to go somewhere <laughs> I never really had a vision for it like that and um, <laughs> excuse me there used to be an article series that she did called follow Fridays or something and they'd highlight a different Instagram account um once a week that you should follow so on another magazine one week it was my account and she did a little interview from with me but really it was I mean all dues to Hannah because that was the moment where it kind of blew up and it did it truly from that moment I didn't stop like getting press getting new followers and then when the crown I think I had 50,000 followers before mm -hmm. last season of the crown came out and after the crown it like shot up to a hundred thousand mm -hmm. and it really um has been kind of it's grown totally organically um sometimes I feel like I don't even do enough on the account and it just shows kind of the love for Diana and there's such a mix of people who follow it I think there are like the true Diana stands who are like they follow every Diana account out there. But then I think there are the ones who kind of love the like sassy, bitchy message behind it, or they love fashion in general. Um, but it's been, it's actually a very positive space. There's not too much kind of negative. Occasionally there's a conspiracy theorist on there, but it's hard to avoid in America. Yeah, just <laughs> I know, they're everywhere. <laughs> Uh, going into kind of what we were talking about with, you know, how her style evolved and everything, uh, was there a particular look or trend that she did a lot that you hope with this new generation of fans does not resurface, just stays in the past? <laughs> yeah, there was some really, I mean, the thing is, they're so like typical of that era, but there are some really crazy 80s looks, kind of like these full, it's like 80s maximalism like with a you know a dusting of like frothy princess and the kind of big velvet puff sleeve gowns and the colored tights and mm -hmm. I think you know sometimes you see designers taking reference from those looks but obviously not making it so insane and 80s looking and <laughs> um, so I guess I guess that kind of stuff I'm also thing is I can appreciate the big collars but they're just not my style or my personal style so I'm kind of they were never like the most interesting looks for me but I know there are people who love that and kind of love the whole Laura Ashley aesthetic but I like her cleaner looks and like and also there are some really cool 80s looks that I don't think have been really shared before like some really great faux fur coat she was wearing and really cool boots and it's kind of the looks that I came across and I was like oh wow she was wearing this at like peak princess time so I you know had a appreciation for those but yeah there's definitely actually in the beginning in my pr book proposal I had a section called like which obviously I would have named it something else, but it was like the blooper outfits. And like, you know, let's <laughs> could get it wrong sometimes. And it had some of her most like scary, hideous outfits in there. But <laughs> just because of how much it cost to license images, we ended up cutting that section. <laughs> just for the archives. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just for me. Uh, another part of the book that I loved was that you added little highlights for Princess Anne and also Sarah Ferguson's uh, personal style. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you choose those two women to highlight versus anyone else in the royal family or Diana's circle? Well, okay, it's funny because I 
actually think genuinely that I really feel like Diana was the most stylish person in the royal family and I think she kind of continues that legacy to this day I I know there's a huge market of people who like love Kate Middleton style and Meghan Markle style and like you know respect whatever you want to whatever you like whatever you're drawn to but personally I I've never found their style interesting or individual or unique in any way so Sarah Ferguson we'll start with Sarah Ferguson I kind of love her because she's literally like the messy underdog of the royal family Mm -hmm. and um she you know she was given a really hard time and like no one is perfect actually my friend's mom sent me a very cute message on Instagram saying she really loved the Sarah Ferguson thing and saying you know no no one is perfect she was in the same way Diana was a woman and out there like with the so much scrutiny on her making you know mistakes and like yes Sarah Ferguson made some big mistakes I'm sure she regretted more than like anyone could give her shit for and Mm -hmm. I I just love that she just owned kind of this kooky character that she was and wore these hilarious headpieces and the way that all the royals kind of have their thing that seemed to be her thing wearing it was almost like instead of wearing a tiara or a crown she'd wear these crazy headpieces or these diamante hair clips and or the hat that said kind of Hollywood or LA on it or something when she visited yeah, themed yeah. for each trip which <laughs> yeah exactly and I kind of like that about her and you know you realize you read into the stories about her and they are I mean they're pretty juicy um but it is sad to think you know she was like she had this relationship with some American guy and a very intimate moment was caught on camera and people just ridiculed her and I think that was her how she was kind of treated within the royal family was as a bit of a joke and that's so not fair like she was like a mother and she was trying her best in such a strange scenario and environment and so I kind of honestly even that chapter I write all the bits that people were talking about at the time but I kind of write it with love and she I mean she's kind of one of my favorite royals just because she's again a bit of a rebel and then Princess Anne I truly think Princess I called them her revenge looks because that ended up being like the thing my thing Mm -hmm. but um I love Princess Anne's style and even to this day (laughs) it's so kind of normcore it's like royal normcore and you see her you know, speaking into like a burner flip phone and <laughs> these matrix style sunglasses on. And like, she is such an unintentional, like she's kind of like this um, ironic style icon. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's yes. no sense of like, you can tell she has no interest in fashion. Actually, when she was mm-hmm. younger in the 60s and like 70s, she wore some really gorgeous outfits. And I actually highlight some of her looks from the 70s and 80s, um, kind of her country core outfits, which I genuinely think are really cool and chic. Um, and I, I would probably wear something similar in the mm-hmm. right environment. Um, maybe <laughs> in the countryside, yeah. <laughs> but her, the modern day outfits, honestly they crack me up they're hilarious she's such an accidental style icon and she doesn't even know it so I love that for her <laughs> yeah, it's that nonchalant and everyone's like oh <laughs> should yeah. I do it <laughs> resting bitch face as well and I also love that about her I'm like she takes no shit you can tell 
I think of whenever I see her style, I think of the story of her with the attempted kidnapping and her just, you know, being held by this man and being like, get in my car. And she just goes, not bloody likely. Like, it's just, yeah, she's, that's her style to me. Just like yeah, so hardcore. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for your account, I do love that this past Halloween, I'm not sure if you do it every year, you posted all the Dianas that came through. And I'm sure with the last season of The Crown, there's been a major uptick in uh, Diana looks that people come in for Halloween. Was there one that you were really impressed by or that you noticed people really connected to? Yeah, there were actually two. So Tommy Dorfman um, is the queen of Revengeler. She's so fabulous. And um, Mm -hmm. she wore a Sleeping Beauty. There's the famous Sleeping Beauty um, image of Diana had fallen asleep in this big frothy gown. And and Tommy actually recreated that and looked incredible. And um, it was kind of did the exact pose as well. So I love that one. And then... (laughs) There was another one, I can't remember their name, but um, they did the classic revenge dress in New York City mm-hmm. and had like the perfect wig. It was in the sheer stockings and um, yeah, it was like a, a bit of a drag costume, mm-hmm. but it was, it looked so good. And everyone was like, this is insane. And, um, but honestly, there were so many good ones and it was really fun. It's kind of become a thing like Mm -hmm. on my account in the last two years. And I hope, I almost feel like I should throw like a Diana Halloween party in LA this year or something or New York. Yeah, I think that would be so fun and just invite everyone and get everyone to dress as a different Diana. (laughs) Have the book for reference. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Double up as book promotion. I know, yeah, I noticed um, Ira Madison III, who's a terrific writer and uh, one of the hosts of, the Keep It podcast, he had the classic Northwestern look, but down to the Gucci bag. And I was so excited to see the handbags got a little notice in your book. Uh, oh, yeah. There, were there any accessories? Was the handbags like the main accessory that really stuck out to you in your research, like that made um, the biggest statement outside of the outfits? Yeah. So I labeled the her handbags, her fuck off handbags, because I actually, it's something my mom says. My mom um, is a fashion designer. Like I grew up with her working like very, she was very, you know, involved in the industry. And um, if there was kind of this really chic, like bitchy handbag, she'd be like, that's a fuck off handbag. <laughs> and it kind of stuck with me. And like every time, actually, there's a few things in here that I've labeled, which just came directly from my mom and the things she said when I was growing up. Um, but I totally think, you know, in the 90s, she got these very kind of expensive looking bitchy handbags, the crocodile and um, Versace and um, the Dior, the Shushu handbag, which they've renamed the uh, lady dior bag since the gucci bamboo and they were often these kind of big serious looking bags that you could maybe fit you know documents in and they were part of her kind of serious working woman wardrobe and Mm -hmm. those really stood out to me i think also um just the heels as well the heels became a lot um higher she Mm -hmm. famously only wore two inch no higher than two inch heels when she was with Charles because they were the same height they were both five foot ten so as she became you know a free woman she 
when she wore kind of designs by Jimmy Choo and Manolo Blahnik and she worked very closely with them. Um, she kept requesting for the heels to get higher and actually the clothing designer said she requested the hemlines to get shorter. So the heels were getting higher and the hemlines were getting shorter. And, you know, we saw Nicole Kidman do that with uh, in her split from Tom Cruise because also he was a, another short king. And um, <laughs> Diana, um, Nicole Kidman is also quite a tall woman. And we saw that from Katie Holmes again with Tom Cruise. So I think that's a, a thing, you know, women cut their hair, they start wearing higher heels. Maybe the clothing starts to get, um, you know, a bit more risque. But I think one of the biggest misconceptions of that is that doing that and making those choices for the man. I think the biggest misconception of that is people make those choices for the man. But I actually think that's for you. And I, I am such a believer in that clothing can just transform the way you feel about yourself. And, you know, I do, I have a better night if I, if I'm wearing a sexy outfit, I just mm -hmm. do for myself. I, it makes me feel good. Um, I love, yeah, how it makes you feel. And yes, okay. The intention might be, oh, I want, if they see this, I want to piss them off, but I mean, the likelihood of them seeing it is whatever. It just makes you, it helps you grow your confidence when you've been in a place that's kind of less than good and, or you've had your, the confidence knocked out of you. I was in a pretty shit relationship and like clothing really helped me transform my attitude towards myself. And essentially that's the, what the book is about. And it's, you know, it's not just, oh, she's wearing this and she's wearing that. It's like, how can clothing heal you? How can you, how can you make yourself feel better with clothing and all these other things that Diana did? It's almost like the ultimate guide to getting over like a bad breakup or like maybe a job that's made you feel not good about yourself or just anyone who sort of, you know, harmed you a little bit. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, I do love that in the last few pages of your book, you do have a list of Diana resources, you know, favorite brands, favorite shops, which is so cool that you got to speak to people who own the shops since the time that Diana was purchasing from them and seeing that effect of that Diana effect that you were talking about earlier of, of how their products came to become so popular. Uh, on the last few pages, you do have a whole section of revenge playlists with your own uh, Diana revenge playlist uh, on Spotify and a list of uh, revenge movies, Legally Blonde, First Wives Club. Uh, I do have to ask, what is your like dream revenge night out? Like what outfit are you choosing? What is your drink in hand? Concert you're going to? Anything like that? Oh my God. So... <laughs> I dream night out <laughs> it would be well drink definitely is a dirty martini with vodka mm -hmm. extra dirty uh, that's my American accent for you guys um and then I would my dream outfit is maybe kind of what would I wear what would I wear I don't know I love like a semi-sheer dress of some kind mm -hmm. recently I'm very into kind of the crochet with just like a thong underneath it or something um and then some super chic like Manolo Blahnik heels and then maybe I'd be I'm just making this up I mean in LA <laughs> like my real life like a really fun I love going to Sunset Tower I just think it's like mm -hmm. the most 
chic place to go and I always have loads of fun there um but like dream night I'd be maybe in Saint-Tropez on someone's yacht and <laughs> surrounded by like handsome non probably like gay men because honestly like straight men are so annoying <laughs> at this point I'm just like actually my dream night does not involve straight men <laughs> yeah, they're not there yeah and we'd be like dancing to like do a leaper or something <laughs> that is the perfect night out in Saint Tropez <laughs> yeah I was just in Saint Tropez so that's the that's the inspo for it were you was that part of the book tour no that was my vacation from the book tour my five-day vacation oh, nice. yeah it was nice oh, so you had this night out so you <laughs> yeah it wasn't on like a fancy yacht but yeah we'll get that one Awesome. <laughs> and then uh, one last uh, question. Uh, you are a terrific writer. Uh, I can't wait to see what you do next. I know this is your main project at the moment. Uh, in the future, would you like to stay in the line of fashion? And if so, do you have any other fashion muses that you uh, take inspiration from? Um, so I'm actually working on my next book project, but it's fiction. So it will be my first fiction project. Um, and I, I mean, I think if you read the book, you see, obviously it's so fashion focused and I, I continue to kind of freelance in fashion and work in fashion, but I just love kind of really strong feminine voice stories. And I love, um, I love love. I love kind of telling these, you know, empowering love, female centric stories so I think that's more the direction I'm gonna go in and hopefully keep a bit of sense of humor in it and I'm working on it right now so um I can't tell you when it's going to be ready I think in terms of another fashion icon but I don't know I don't think I would write a book on them is Kate Moss which is the complete opposite to Princess Diana but I love her so much I just love these like British kind of iconic fashion icons um mm -hmm. I I think for now I'm putting the pause on um another fashion book but I think fashion will always be involved in some way in my writing whether whether it's kind of talking about people's clothes just naturally and how I write but um I think and uh, I think I've got to give a break to Princess Diana just for my own sanity <laughs> so I'm not talking about Princess Diana I love her but um mm -hmm. and I definitely wouldn't write another book on another royal just I'm not so invested in the other royals Absolutely. Well, thank you again for talking with us and uh, congratulations on your book. I loved it and I can't wait to show it to other people. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you both so much for joining us and for our listeners. Our guests again today were Eloise Moran and Catherine Collier. And you can buy a copy of the Lady Die Lookbook at Skylight Books and by the time you come in, we will have some signed copies because Eloise is going to stop by and sign them for us. So we'll have signed copies for you that you can purchase in store or at skylightbooks.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope to see you all soon. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. 
Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.